comes to your mind when you hear the word evangelism? Glenn Weeks. Glenn Weeks. <laughs> Chris Hustler, all right. Think of an evangelist, all right. Um, I think evangelism, or we could say sharing our faith, right? our faith in Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel. Um, we kind of have a, an idea of what that is. We kind of have an idea that we need to do it. The Bible's told us to do that. Um, but uh, a lot of people, I think a lot of Christians, we kind of struggle in this area. And uh, so we want to talk about evangelism. Uh, I think maybe the next several Sunday nights when I, when I preach, I uh, want to look into this topic of evangelism. But really, before we get into uh, somewhat of a series on this, uh, I would like to get your feedback on evangelism. So I'm going to ask, don't write your name on the piece of paper. If you already wrote your name on the piece of paper, um, I can get you a different one. Uh, But I would like you to go through, we have some questions, I'll read through these, but I would like you to write down, just in one or two sentences, your answer to what this question would be, and then I would ask that you allow me to collect the papers at the end. Uh, So I'm not coming after you, I'm not going to know who wrote these, I'm not... You know, your name's not going to be on here, so I don't want to know who wrote these. Uh, but you know, I, w- I want to get a little bit of a sense for maybe where our church is at when it comes to evangelism, what, what are our thoughts when it comes to the gospel. And so I think this will be helpful. Uh, but first of all, first question there, what is the gospel? So if in one or two sentences you could just simply, in your own words, write what is the gospel? doesn't have to be anything major or in-depth, just, just one or two sentences. How would you define the gospel? And then the next thing would be evangelism. What would you say is evangelism? All right, and then the next one will be, how do you share the gospel? So personally, what are you doing right now to share the gospel message? This could be the, the track distribution, letterboxing. This could be talking to coworkers, friends, family about the gospel. So what is it currently that you personally are doing to share the gospel message? And then the next question might be a little bit more um, on a personal nature. I don't want you to necessarily think that I'm I'm taking a dig here, but what are some reasons that you don't share the gospel? So why do you share the gospel? Why don't you share the gospel? Think about it from both angles there. And again, I'm not saying that it's necessarily um, a negative 
All right, and then the next question, uh, whom do you share the gospel with? So of the people that you have shared the gospel with recently in the last several months, however long, uh, who was that? Was it a relative, co-worker? And then where do you share the gospel? When do you share the gospel? Just real briefly there. And then the last one, how many times do you share the gospel in a week? And again, not trying to take a dig there. You could say, last week I, had, I, I didn't share the gospel at all. I'm not saying that's a negative, okay? Because... Maybe God didn't give you an opportunity last week. Now, I would assume God probably wants us to have some opportunities each week, but just, uh, just go with what, uh, what you did last week. All right, and then if you could, once you fill that out, if you could fold it over. Uh, again, I don't want to know whose paper is who. Um, and then just you can just leave it right there on a seat next to you, or you can pass them all to the center. Um, maybe Mitchell, if you wouldn't mind, um, when you're done there, just come by and grab those. And thank you for those of you that, that filled those out. If you didn't, no worries, I, I understand. But um, I, I believe the Lord has laid this on my heart to, to speak about evangelism a little bit. And really the, the goal will be not to create another program here at church. Uh, we're not interested in creating an evangelistic program. We're really, we're interested in creating an evangelistic culture uh, where that is just part of, of, I guess, our church DNA, our personal uh, relationship with Christ is just so vibrant that it just comes out as we connect with those in the community. Um, recently, I've been preaching from the book of Philippians and really just emphasizing that first 12 verses about the abounding love, that good work that God is doing in us, and it really shows itself in that abounding love. And so when we allow that abounding love to really take hold of our hearts, it's going to flow out in ways like evangelism. Um, <clears throat> the simplest way to evangelize, really, when it comes down to it, is to share our testimony. To share our testimony. To share how God has lived or, or shown himself in our life. I'd like to read a testimony to you this evening uh, about a man named Bill Fay. You may not know who Bill Fay is, but uh, you'll learn about him a little bit tonight. God has used him in a very mighty way um, to, to really encourage a lot of people in the area of evangelism. <coughs> so this is Bill Fay's testimony, and once we read Bill Fay's testimony, we're actually going to think about his testimony, and how it can help us when we share our testimony with other people as well. Uh, so here it goes. My life began in an upper-middle-class family. My father was a vice president of a company called General Foods and introduced a line of frozen food called Bird's Eye. 
Anybody uh, eat bird's eye? There you go. Meanwhile, I was raised with the classic silver spoon in my mouth. My biggest concern as a young adult was trying to get my father's money before he blew it. I wasn't fast enough. I watched my father, father die destitute in a veteran's hospital without a penny to his name. I decided this was not going to happen to me. I would be number one and secure the things that the world could give me regardless of the cost. At age 16, I, I got a girl pregnant and got married. I soon headed off to college where I learned a few things that weren't the norm. For instance, my study habits became easier when I learned the mimograph room often had the test before the teachers did. I also met a man who taught me how to become a professional gambler and card cheat. I began to put myself through college by taking money uh, with my deck of 52. Upon graduation, I divorced my wife and advanced my career and found another woman to marry. She was a very nice, kind woman and allowed me to do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. The recipe for disaster right there. When I was 22, I was hired by an Atlanta corporation. I was determined to be number one in everything I did. I was the number one salesman, the number one district manager, and ready to become the number one regional manager. I loved golf because it allowed me an opportunity to hustle the members of the country club at the famous 19th hole where my deck of cards was loaded. I easily paid the golf club's 15,000 initiation fee by cheating those foolish enough to play gin rummy with me. My life began to accelerate in its craziness. Because of my reputation as a gambler, I was invited to go to Las Vegas as a guest. When I arrived there, I was impressed by the power, the limousines, the fountain in the middle of my suite, um, and the endless supply of money. I thought to myself, if I can just get connected into all this, my life would be fine. One evening, I went to the baccarat table where the heavy-duty gamblers played. I was drawn to this table because they used uh, cash instead of chips, and it was not unusual for the table to be piled with millions of dollars. One day, I watched a man who kept losing and losing and losing. He lost $200,000 in 20 minutes. I had finished a couple of drinks, and I turned to him and said, you're, you really don't know what you're doing, do you? He replied, wise guy, if you're so smart, why don't you show me? He invited me across to the, the street to Caesar's Palace. When I walked into Caesar's with him, I could tell people knew him. The blackjack dealers glanced up, and the crowds parted as he walked to the baccarat table. He whispered into the croupier's ear, and he cleared the table and removed the gambling limit. He ordered $50,000 as comfortably as you might order a glass of milk and handed the money to me. He said, play, wise guy. I hit a hot streak. In about 15 minutes, I had won back a little over a quarter of a million dollars. This man not only became my friend, he became my godfather. I became connected with the mafia, the underworld, the syndicate, and began to wholesale mafia money around the country. Despite my illegal connections, I kept my corporate life going, Achievement after achievement, promotion after promotion. I was now the manager of a major corporation in Houston. I was so crazy that one day, this is pretty crazy, when I was on the phone talking to a woman in Kansas City, I asked her, what do you look like? She told me that she was attractive, and he asked, what do you want out of life? She said, money and power. I was on the next plane to meet her. I took her to dinner and suggested, let's get married. I went back home to my wife of 12 years to inform her I was leaving. Then I got into my Cadillac, drove to Kansas City, picked up this woman, and then drove to Denver to become the new chief executive officer of a multi-million dollar, multi-international corporation. 
One afternoon, I stood at my desk and stared at my mahogany desk. My chauffeur-driven limousine was outside. I had an unlimited expense count, diamond rings, Rolexes, and gold jewelry. I thought, what's next? I have both legal and illegal money. I have power, both corporately and illegally, yet something is missing. I dismissed the thought. I couldn't afford to think that way for long. I continued in my goal to become a nationally ranked racquetball player and came close to succeeding. Yet no matter what I did, I found it was fun for only a while. No one ever knew how lonely I really was. My third wife decided to leave me for another man. Easy come, easy go. Uh, It was only by God's grace I did not put a contract on her to have her killed. It was then I met my current wife, Peggy. As we started today, I decided to build a new but unusual enterprise. Because I understood the loneliness of men's lives, I built Fantasy Island, um, a prostitution house in the U.S. One day, I took Peggy to Las Vegas to show her how people would cater to my every whim. Ironically, while we were at the same baccarat table where the insanity had begun so many years earlier, my attorney called. He said, there's a warrant out for your arrest. My reaction was, for what? I haven't done anything. He said, they've raided the house of prostitution. It's all over the news. I was aghast. Why? I flew back to get arrested and receive probation. All that meant to me was, don't get caught again. My hands were clean, but my heart was unchanged. I knew if I got caught for anything, I'd be off to prison for six to eight years, but I was still willing to make any deal, providing it was sweet enough. My corporation didn't like its chief, chief executive officer making national newspapers for every week, for every day of the week, so the management fired me. But I was undaunted and got into the executive search business and started to make top dollars again. So in many re- regards, I was still the winner, yet somehow I did not feel okay. Over the years, I had looked for peace. Somehow, by God's province, I had found peace in a place called Lost Valley Ranch, It sits on about 8,500 acres of Colorado mountain country. Every time I went there, I felt great. Then when I'd leave to return to my life of madness, reality would hit. Driving toward home, I would get an acid burn in my stomach and tears in my eyes. I couldn't understand why leaving was so difficult. One day, I figured it out. I realized the whole ranch was loaded with Christians. I got so I could spot them. They had this funny little look in their eyes. And if I aggravated them, they would quote scriptures at me. One Easter Sunday, while I was at the ranch, I decided to do what many non-Christians do on Easter Sunday. I went to church. I rode my horse out to the meadow and heard a young man named Bob Foster preaching a a sermon I'll never forget. He said, there's a difference between happiness and inner peace. Happiness is like the smell of a new car, a new dating relationship, closing a business deal, illicit drugs. You get a high, you're happy, but it never lasts. He added, some highs are higher than other highs. Some highs are different lengths of time, but they always end. I thought to myself, the kid is right. (laughs) That's my life. Achieve, get, do, be, then nothing. Bob explained, inner peace is different. His words struck me. I knew I didn't have inner peace, and I wondered how to get it. He continued, you'll find inner peace only with a relationship 
with Christ. I thought, oh, give me a break. I got on my horse and rode out of the meadow and drove back to Denver. The next year, off and on, Christians came into my life to tell me about the person of Jesus Christ. When they did, they were insulted, persecuted, and antagonized. Many of them walked away believing they'd failed. But I never forgot the name, the face, the words, or any of them who told me about the Lord Jesus Christ. Then God sent Paul and Kathy Grant into my life. Paul, a Jewish believer in Christ, was sitting at home one morning praying, Lord, I want to go to the racquetball court today and share my faith. Later, I pushed open the door of the racquetball court and saw him. I blurted out, what are you doing here on Yom Kippur? Why aren't you out doing whatever you Jews do on holidays? He replied, I'm also a Christian. Yom Kippur is the day Jews ask God to forgive them of their sins for another year. I don't have to do that because I've already been forgiven by Jesus the Messiah. Oh, please, give me a break, I sneered. For months afterward, Dr. Grant would stand by his locker while I asked questions, deliberately trying to make him late. I thought, what a stupid fool. How can this idiot sit here and let me do this when he has waiting, uh, a waiting room full of patients? Yet Paul was my first true friend. He called after I'd been arrested for the raid on my house of prostitution. Now I had received hundreds of phone calls from my attorneys, wondering if their uh, clients' names were found in the records, etc. Yet Paul's call was different. He asked, are you okay? That question went through me like a shot. He, was, he followed it by asking, would you consider coming to church with Kathy and me? I turned to Peggy and said, we'll go, but whatever you do, don't sign anything. At the church service, I listened to this guy talk like he was never going to quit. Afterward, I recognized a man in the congregation whom I had given a brochure for Fantasy Island. When I asked him if he'd like to be my guest, he said, that's not part of my life. His response had made an impression, and even though the incident had happened years ago, I hadn't forgotten. Afterward, Paul and Kathy took Peggy and me back to their home and gave us what was the first Christian testimony I'd ever heard. Kathy looked so pure and as she radiated her personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When she set a pot of tea in front of me, I got nervous. I was into bookmaking and had some $100,000 in bets on the day's sporting events. The last thing I wanted to do was be delayed by the TV, uh, from the TV by a big pot of tea. Then Kathy shared her life. She talked about the time she had been molested, how she had been a mistress to a man called the King of Oil in Indonesia, and how she attempted to take her own life on four different occasions. I sat there not believing a word she said. I felt she made up every uh, bit of it just to hook me into joining her cult. As we left, I told Peggy, that's fine for them, but let's you and me go home and have a drink. Unknown to me, the Lakewood Police Department in Colorado had decided justice had not been served. One night, the police sent an attractive policewoman undercover. Uh, she offered to sell me a stolen television, implying that she came with it. I gave her $200 and was arrested. My bond was a quarter million dollars. Because the police pulled the sting on Friday night, I had to spend the whole weekend in jail. Monday, when I was released, a sense of panic hit me. I realized I had violated my probationary terms. I would go to prison for the next six to eight years. I remember sitting at my kitchen table crying crocodile tears, not because I was repentant, 
but because I was panicked. I tried to think of a way out. I thought of drugs and alcohol, but I didn't want more problems in my life. I considered the idea of escape, and at that time, I had the money to run. I even contemplated suicide, but by God's grace, I didn't take that route. That's when God used an unbelieving, my unbelieving wife. She said, why don't we call the man who married us? I snapped at her. I don't want that stuff in my life. But the Holy Spirit is more powerful than my ignorance. Later, I called that pastor. Through tears, I said, I want inner peace in my life. The next day, I drove 85 miles to this little country church. When I walked in, the church didn't even have a rug on the dusty floor. But in a matter of moments, the floor held a, held a puddle of my tears. At 10 a.m. on March 4th, 1981, I found out what it meant to know and to meet Jesus Christ as both my Lord and my Savior. God chose to take my life and flip it. The first evidence of what was to come happened on my drive down the mountain. I had the first unselfish thought I ever had in my entire life. I began to remember the daughter I had abandoned so many years earlier. For the first time, I wondered, where's Tammy? When I got home, I found evidence of God's perfect timing. Although I had not heard from Tammy in 23 years, she had left a message on my answering machine. She said a strange thing for a daughter to say to her dad. She said, I saw your name in the newspapers from all your arrests, and I would like to meet you. A short while later, I met my daughter and asked her to forgive me. Then I had the greatest privilege I've ever had in my entire life. I held my daughter's hand while she surrendered her heart and life to Jesus Christ. Although I fully expected to go to prison, God had other plans. Even though my mafia attorney never showed up for my day in court and my local attorney subpoenaed all the wrong people, a miracle took place. Not only did the judge dismiss my case, he barred it from further prosecution at the district level. I walked out of the court that day free to the world, but more importantly, Christ had freed me from my sins. For two years afterward, I prayed for an opportunity to go back to the Lakewood Police Department and let the police know Christ had changed my life. One day, the assistant chief of police was having lunch when my name came up. He pushed back his chair and said, even God can't forgive that man. Someone said, why don't you find out for yourself? I'll never forget the day I met him for lunch. He walked in and said, I came to find out if what you have found is the truth in your life. Then he said, when I told people at the department that I was going to meet with you, one detective offered to wire me and another offered to cover me. That day I held the hand of a man who orchestrated both my arrests and we prayed together. Three months later, he introduced me to the policewoman, a dedicated Christian who had arrested me and put me in the back of her car. Only this time, we went to church together. She has become one of my closest Christian friends. If God can change my life, he can change yours. There are several simple steps to knowing Jesus Christ. Admit to God you're a sinner. Want forgiveness for your sins. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and rose again. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's a testimony of a man who, from all accounts, was a very wicked man uh, for much of his life. And we share that testimony not to, to glorify his, his lifestyle in, in any way, but to glorify God that no matter who you are, 
God can reach down to the bottom of the barrel and he can save souls. Um, we share that testimony because it, it inspires us. A man who was 100% against God and God did a 180 in his life to change him around and immediately he begins to tell other people about Jesus Christ and see his daughter saved, to see a policeman saved, because he's sharing his testimony. Uh, his testimony, it really, it, it teaches us some things about how to share our testimony, um, about witnessing. Uh, so here's just a few thoughts from, from his testimony. Uh, he said that he had a lot of fun in life, but it only lasted for a while. And no one ever knew how lonely he really was. When we think about people in the world, they're lost, they're lonely, they're unfulfilled. Without Christ, they don't have fulfillment. And it's easy for us when we witness to people, they, they laugh at us, they look like they've got it all together, they, they put on this persona like, I don't want what you got. But deep down they do. So as we witness, let's not forget, they're really searching for Christ. They really are searching for fulfillment. Only, the only place they can find that is in Christ. So let's not let their sneers, their jeers, dissuade us from being a witness. People are looking for internal peace. Um, people will reject Christ many times before they accept him. So don't, let's not give up because we face one rejection. Also, prayer is essential for effective evangelism. Dr. Paul, who God used in his life, what did he do before he went to the racquetball court? He asked God to set up a divine appointment. Brother Tim talked about divine appointments this morning. He asked God to set up that divine appointment. So if we're going to see people saved, prayer is vital. And it's got to be done beforehand. Um, also, Dr. Paul had a desire to share the gospel. Do we have that desire? So prayer and desire, those are two essential aspects that must precede the evangelistic appointment. Also, showing genuine care is part of evangelism. Uh, did you get, were, were you blown away when Dr. Paul called William Fay? Okay, for what he got called on, and I don't want to go into more detail on that, but he was into pretty bad stuff. Most of us would look, that guy got what he deserved, and throw the book at him. But what did Dr. Paul do? Are you okay? Talk about the love of Christ coming through your life. And then they invited him and uh, his, his wife, Peggy, to their home. And what did Kathy do to witness to them? She had some amazing speech prepared. She had this fantastic program for them. She just shared what God had done in her life. This is who I was. This is what God's done for me. So sharing your testimony, that is... Hey, it's what the Apostle Paul did. Go in your Bibles to Acts chapter 26, please. Acts chapter 26. I find it interesting that when the Apostle Paul 
is given the opportunity, he, he basically he shares his testimony with King Agrippa. I, I don't know this from Scripture, but I would say that maybe the Apostle Paul's go-to method for evangelism was to share his testimony. I, I don't know, I can't back that up, but Acts chapter 26, look at verse 1. We'll, we'll read through the passage here a little bit. Uh, just for context, the Apostle Paul is in a, a court of law, and he is defending himself. He's been put in prison <coughs> for offending the Jews. And so he's been in, in uh, arrest for, for a while, and he is now defending himself, making his case to King Agrippa. And then, said, uh, then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. And so here King Agrippa is giving the Apostle Paul a chance to make a defense, a legal defense for himself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered him, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day because before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews, Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. All right, and just notice there, as the Apostle Paul gets going with his testimony, he's speaking in a manner appropriate to the setting. This is a, a king that he's talking to. It's a court setting. And so he uses a little bit of oratory, a little bit of flowery language there, uh, which would be customary in their day when addressing a, a king or, or someone in the position of, of King Agrippa. And when we share a testimony... Uh, I think the similar thing is that we should speak in a, a setting appropriate. Speak in a conversational style if it's a conversational um, setting. Uh, so our, our, our speech needs to match the setting is what I'm saying. Uh, then verse 4. What does the Paul do when he shares his testimony? Uh, first of all, he tells King Agrippa who he was. Verse 4, my manner of life from my youth. All right, this is who I used to be from, from my youth, uh, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, known, of, known all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Uh, so he's saying, hey, you can go back and fact check me. The people that knew me when I was young, I was a strict Pharisee, all right? Um, Verse 6, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, under which promise are twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, uh, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. And so now he's saying this is, this is why, I'm, why I'm accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were uh, put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them off in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I perse persecuted them, even unto strange cities. So the Apostle Paul is saying to King Agrippa, this is who I was. I was a Jew. I was a very zealous Jew in the Jewish faith. Hey, I was so zealous, I persecuted the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, it says that I gave my voice against them. He was, willing, he was there at Stephen's death. He was approving of Stephen's death. 
I don't know how many Christians the Apostle Paul was responsible for their death, but potentially a good number. How many of Christians were put in prison? It says he compelled them to blaspheme. He said, look, I was totally 180 against Jesus Christ. This is who I was, King Agrippa. So when Paul is giving his testimony, he says who he was. Now let's look at verse 13, or verse 12. <clears throat> He's going to tell what happened to him. Verse 12, Whereof, whereupon as I, am, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. And when they were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I, have, I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And so here he says, what happened to him? I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he says, look, I wasn't, it wasn't just me. There was, there was people traveling with me. And they saw this, this occurrence happen. So he says, this is who I was. I was a Jew, persecuting Christians. And then I met Jesus. This is what happened to me. And then verse 19, how did he change? Verse 19, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but shewed first unto them of Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. All right, so he says, what happened? What, what happened? Well, I began to obey the heavenly vision, what Jesus told me to do. I went to preach about Jesus, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. So those really are your three aspects of your testimony. As you think about your testimony and how you're going to share your testimony with others, what were you, what happened to you, and how did you change? But notice also, uh, just uh, to finish up Paul's testimony here, in verse 24, uh, it says, As he thus spake for himself, Festus, so he was uh, a governor there with King Agrippa listening to Paul, and said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art mad beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Uh, so Festus is listening to this testimony, and he says, Paul, you're off your rocker, man. You, all your education has, has got, made you go bonkers. Like, this is crazy. Uh, so what does Paul say? Does Paul just keep ramrodding through with his testimony? No, he responds to Festus. Uh, verse 25, But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Uh, you know, sometimes when we're sharing the gospel, we're witnessing, people will make a comment, they'll say something, and we just ignore it. And we say, oh, no, 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 no. And then we just keep going on, giving our spiel, 
having ignored what they said. You know what that says to that person? It says, I don't really care what you have to say. I don't really care what you think. You need to listen to me. And it's very abrasive. It can be off-putting. Um, Jesus was really good about asking questions. And when somebody asked him a question, he'd oftentimes he'd respond with a question. Because Jesus was interested in carrying on a dialogue. Not a monologue where he's just shouting at someone, just, just funneling truth at someone. Um, because Jesus understood the importance that you, the soil, if it's not receptive, you're, you're throwing your pearl before swine. Uh, so Paul answers Festus. He, he says, no, 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 Festus, I am being um, serious. This is not me being mad. Verse 26, for the king knoweth of these things before whom I also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. So Paul is saying, look, look, I'm not being crazy. You can check it out. People know it's, this thing was not done in a corner. It wasn't just a, a minor incident that nobody knows about. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. This is common knowledge. And this is what I love about Christianity. We have the facts, folks. History is on our side. God's Word is not a, a mythical, legendary piece of, of um, literature. Do the facts. Do the fact check. And history, science, uh, reality lines up with God's Word. And then verse 27, what is Paul, how does Paul finish up? King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And so he finishes his testimony with a, really it's with a challenge to King Agrippa. Hey, this is who I was. Totally against Jesus Christ. This is what happened to me. I met Jesus Christ. Number three, I'm different. I've been changed by Jesus Christ. King Agrippa, what about you? So he lays out the, the, the challenge there. King Agrippa, are you going to receive Jesus Christ just lays out the option there for him. King Agrippa says, almost thou persuades me to be a Christian. So he, he doesn't. Uh, Paul re responds, I would to God that thou, uh, that not only thou, but also all of them that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. You know what? The Apostle Paul, as he was speaking to King Agrippa, he understood he wasn't just speaking to King Agrippa. There were a lot of people in that room. So the Apostle Paul, when he was sharing his testimony, he was sharing his testimony with how many people were in that room? I don't know. A lot of people, potentially. You know, when you're sharing your testimony with one person, there are other people in the room listening, potentially. You go to a coffee shop, and you have a, a D&M with someone about the gospel. You never know who's behind you at the next table listening in on your conversation of the gospel. Um, so the Apostle Paul gives us a, a template for sharing a testimony. What we were, what happened to us, and how we changed. Now you might be saying, well, that's great, but I don't really have a cool testimony. Um, and that's what I used to think when I was a kid. I, I made a profession of faith when I was a kid. Um, so there's a lot of, lot of bad things I did that 
No, I didn't really, I mean, what was the worst thing I did? I, I punched my brother, okay? What, what kid hasn't punched his brother, right? Um, uh, you know, I have this really uh, fantastic story of how I can't know. I, I grew up in a Christian home. I heard the gospel at church. I, I don't really have much of a testimony. That's, that's the temptation to think that way, right? I don't really have much to share. Um, but you know what, what, I, what I found is it, an effective way to share my testimony. I was actually I was at a hotel one time, and uh, I was talking to this lady. I was trying to witness this lady. And I told her about, you know, I got saved. I asked Jesus to be my Savior. And she's like, what happened? And I was like, uh, I'm on my way to heaven. Now, I'm not saying that I shouldn't have said that. I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to say. But her response was like, okay. Now, I don't know how God will use that seed planted down the road. But in that moment, anyway, that, that response, the way I handled that situation, wasn't super effective. Uh, so, you know, I, I've thought about it. And I found out that it's more effective when I share my testimony this way. You know, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, I made a, a decision to trust Christ as my Savior, asked Jesus to save me when I was still a kid. But as I got older, I began to really struggle with, hey, is the Bible real? Can we really trust God's Word? Now, uh, you know, as I, I was in my, my uh, uni years, and I began to, to you know, understand the, the dynamic between evolution and, and creationism, which, which is right, which is true. How do we know that Jesus is truly God and, you know, he lived a sinless life? How do we know the Bible's true? Now, I began to really struggle, wrestle with that. And there were a couple occasions where I was actually this close to just throwing in the towel and saying, you know what, forget it. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to walk away from religion because I, I'm tired of all this uncertainty. I just forget the whole thing. But in those moments where I was that close to walking away, there was something inside me that would not let me go. And you know what that was? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I had made a commitment to him earlier in my life, and he was, he was saying to me at that moment, Josh, no, I'm not letting you go. And so I, I share that with other people, and I... And that's a way that, that, that they can see that who I was, in a sense, grew up in a Christian home, but I struggled. What happened to me? I had a struggle. And then what did Jesus do in that struggle? He, he helped me to come through that struggle. And now I have peace, I have joy in my life serving God. Wouldn't trade it for anything. So I want, I want to challenge you tonight to think about your testimony. Your testimony does not need to be sensational. All right? Bill Fay has a sensational testimony. But that's not, that's not the main thing we're focused on. Your testimony does need to have substance, though. Um, so I would encourage you with this. What is substance? As you think about sharing your testimony, you're thinking about who you were, what happened to you, and how did God change your life? Um, so number one, substance is a, a changed life. What change can you identify in your life, or what way are you better off in your life for having Christ in your life? And share that with people. Um, <laughs> substance could be, it could be, we'll call it a God thing, all right? Um, I've heard testimony, a, a man just gets put in prison, he's headed to jail, 
and he's at his end of his rope. So in desperation, last ditch effort, um, I think his, his mom had taught him about God. So he says, God, if you're there, do something for me. Nothing happens, so he's like, forget this stuff. The next day, somebody hands him a Bible, and it clicks. I need to read this. Um, he goes on to, to get saved. So if you have something like that in your life, where you can show how God did something for you to, to really confirm his reality, um, share the benefits of salvation. Maybe you, you got saved young, and there was not a whole lot prior to your salvation to, sh- to talk about. But talk about how salvation has really benefited your life. Talk about all the blessings. Talk about the things that you've been saved from. Like, I didn't get involved in a lot of, uh, of drugs and, and all that kind of bad stuff out in the world. Um, talk about answered prayers. Maybe your testimony revolves around an answer to prayer. Share that. Um, but I want to challenge you. Evangelism, really, it starts with us being willing to talk about what Jesus has done for us. If we can't share what Jesus has done for us, then people are going to say, why do I want what you have? Right? So uh, this week, I I really want to challenge you this week. Take some time, sit down, think about, you've got the template right there in Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul's testimony. And think about, ask God, God, how can I be effective at sharing my testimony with others? And then ask God to give you opportunities. The thing is, people are very open to hearing your perspective. In this world, when we value um, diversity and, and openness, right? So you can share your perspective. Well, say, hey, this is what happened to me. And then point people to Christ. And you'll never know, people will say, you know what, that, that, the Holy Spirit can, can take a hold of their heart then. Um, so sit down, think about your testimony, and, and how to give your testimony with some substance, so that way people, when they hear it, they have something to, to hold on and say, you know what, God really did do something in their life. So let's, let's purpose as a church to make evangelism a culture. To, to make it part of our, our daily life. And start with simply thinking about our testimony, sharing our testimony, asking God to give us opportunities to share our testimony. And uh, I believe that when we we ask God for opportunities like Dr. Paul, God's going to say, I've been waiting for you to ask me that. Why don't you go? Here, I'll give you. And you know what? Sometimes he's really good, and he gives you a softball. Makes it so easy for you. But you just need to be willing to ask at first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and the example of his testimony that we have Uh, here in scripture. And Lord, I I do pray that you would help us to meaningfully, to proactively take some time in a busy life, in a busy schedule. Um, If we haven't thought about it already, how how to share a testimony the way that the Apostle Paul did and to be able to to convey what Jesus Christ has
has done in our life. And really, Lord, the, the whole point of it is to emphasize Jesus Christ, to lift him up. And Lord, we do pray even this week that you'll give us opportunities to tell other people about what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, we thank you in advance for those opportunities that you've given us and will give us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.